You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number... 334. So happy you're here. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of Coconuts and Kettlebells, and I am going to be talking with Stephanie Ruper today. However, this is actually a bonus episode, uh, something that we've never aired here, but this was a private podcast episode for people who pre-ordered our book, Coconuts and Kettlebells. It was specifically to help people figure out what macronutrient ratio is right for them, and we answered some of the community questions. So we're going to be launching it today because I am going on vacation, <laughs> like many of you. I'm taking July to um, visit family and travel and just be able to do things again, which we're, we're really excited about. And I know so many of you are doing that. And so yeah, so in into this episode today, Steph and I are just going to be going over how you can figure out whether a higher carbohydrate or higher fat diet is right for you. So we'll be unpacking that, talking about, um, you know, some tips that'll help you know how to shift those things, where you can start, where you can build to, how to experiment, what signs and symptoms to look for to make sure that you're, you know, doing something that's right for you, which can be complicated, especially when you are, when you have experience dieting and all you have done in the past is tried to control, control, control. How do you move forward saying, well, does my body like more carbohydrate or does my body like more fat? And so we're going to just kind of unpack all of that and answer some of the questions that you guys had for us. Um, and I think it'll be really, really valuable. So we do reference the book. Of course, in the book, we talk a lot about two different options for people, which is we really focus on um, bread lovers or a higher carbohydrate diet versus um, butter lovers or a higher fat diet. And so we're going to kind of be unpacking that and then going into much greater detail, which we couldn't go into in the book simply because we didn't have the space to. So if you've been really trying to figure out, you know, what diet is right for you and how to move forward in your life um, with flexibility and intuition and being able to say, okay, what's going to fit my body's needs? Um, this is going to be the episode for you. I'm really excited to actually I've been always, I've wanted to, it's been in the back of my head to, to publish this, um, publicly. And so now I'm excited to have the opportunity to do that. And it's also really great for people. If you, you know, we talk about our own personal experiences, you know, our lives have fluctuated. And, you know, when we first started this podcast, interestingly enough, I was very, uh, high fat. I didn't like doing a lot of carbohydrate. And I think honestly, that was, a that was because of, um, just still some of the deep-seated things that I had believed about paleo and carbohydrates and all that kind of stuff. And um, Steph was doing a lot more carbohydrate, and now we've, we've really shifted. So I tend to do a lot more carbohydrate. It's just been what's worked better for me, especially after having two kids and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. And she actually does more fat now. But so we kind of talk about that, which is, is interesting. And, and I think it'll hopefully give you insight into, um, fluctuations and being able to change what you're doing and knowing when to change what you're doing to meet your body's new needs. Um, because your body fluctuates and things fluctuate and life fluctuates and stress fluctuates. So naturally your diet can too. So we're going to get right into it. But before we do, um, if you haven't tried Blue Blocks, Blue Light Blocking Glasses or their Sleep, Sleep Plus Glasses, they are literally one of the best biohacking things I've done for my health. I just had another round of very like annoying headaches associated with my screen time. It happens when I've been looking at screens a lot. It all, it's actually a little bit of like motion sickness. Um, and if I'm really stressed, it happens too. And wearing my Blue Blocks glasses was, one of, was just a total lifesaver. And even when I'm like super stressed or anxious, if I put on those glasses, my sleep plus glasses, right when the sun goes down, it completely shifts my anxiety and just my little, like, just, I'm a little bit 
too buzzed or just a little bit too stimulated, it really shifts everything down for me. And I just, at this point, I don't know where I'd be without them. Um, anytime you're looking at screens, whether it's a computer or your phone, you should be wearing blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses. So the computer glasses filter out the harsh blue light we experience when looking at screens. They're clear. They don't have a color. And then the sleep plus glasses block out all blue and green light between 400 and 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that's been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. And if you already have blue blockers uh, or love them, try out their Lumi lights. They have these red bulbs, which we now have in our bedroom nightstand lamps. And I have it in my son's room. We just, we can actually read to him. We read him books at night with that red light bulb and it's sufficient. And then that's what we use and it helps him, you know, he's two and wired all the time. So it helps him kind (laughs) of shift down. And then they have a yellow summer glow bulb, which I use at my desk. It just feels like a warm summer day. Um, And then they have these really cool sleep masks that block out all the blue light. So check out the Remedy light, which is the one that I have. So to get our special 15% discount, go to Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash WellFed. And then use our code WellFed WellFed at checkout. Again, that's Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash WellFed. Use our code WELLFED for 15% off and free shipping worldwide. So what we're going to do now is just talk a little bit about uh, just a quick primer on macronutrients because we do understand that it is a, there's a lot, like it's just, (laughs) it's a lot. It's confusing. This is all in the first chapter of the book. We do talk about macronutrients and, um, and just kind of unpack it very, not in a complicated way, just trying to make it very easy and relatable to people. Um, and so we just want to review that so that we have all have a really good understanding of what we're talking about when we jump into it. Okay, so macronutrients, they are, uh, macros is, is sort of like what I want you to think of as like big. So macronutrients are the three main types of energy that people consume. Macronutrients are protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And all foods contain all three types of macronutrients. Even broccoli has some fatty acids in it. So um, protein is composed of molecules called amino acids. You'll find, obviously, you found a lot of protein in things like animal meats. Um, Animals in particular have all nine essential amino acids. You can find plant sources of protein as well. Beans and nuts um, have protein. And then carbohydrates, there are sugars and starches and fiber found in plant products. And then fats are oily, uh, densely energetic compounds of foods. We all know fats and oils. We know butter. We know there's a lot of good fats in salmon and eggs. Um, You'll find uh, fatty cuts of meat and poultry. And then, of course, olives, coconuts, avocados, nuts. All of those are pretty high in fat. And then uh, on the opposing side, and, and when people talk about micronutrients, and I really think of micronutrients, micro meaning small, um, those are those uh, things like vitamins and minerals. And to me, m- micronutrients are things that we really use to refer to food quality. So macronutrients are just the types. So when we talk about carbohydrate, refined sugar, for example, is a carbohydrate as is an apple. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, carbohydrate in apple. Whereas micronutrients are really talking about vitamins and minerals and those, those nutrients that are found in food. Um, yeah, so that is, that is the little background on that. Um, why don't, Stephanie, can you talk about, there's a, a part in the book that I think w- would be really helpful for us to cover. It's just all about, is fat bad? Is, carb, uh, is carbohydrate bad? Steph, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so carbohydrates and fat, as Noel mentioned, they're just parts of ways that food is composed, right? Like food has to be made of a kind of energy. Every time you eat, you're eating a kind of energy. And there are many varieties of carbohydrate and there are many varieties of fat. And I often in our culture, people tend to come down pretty heavily on one side or the other in terms of which is like optimal for thing, both health and weight maintenance. Uh, but unfortunately, 
these are pretty like polarized and not necessarily reasonable distinctions, right? And so we have tons of studies done on these sorts of things. And some of the studies show that like fat overall is like the devil. And some of the studies show that carbohydrates are really problematic. And depending on which one that has worked better for you or that has worked better for your friends or whatever blogger you follow, you might end up, you might end up citing the studies that like, you know, confirm of what you're thinking. So if you step back, however, and you take a look at what the other side is saying and you read their studies, what you end up finding is that each of these studies kind of like lumps all kinds of fat and all kinds of carbs together. And they might be like, oh, carbs are bad. But when you look at the details, you see that they were studying like high fructose corn syrup and they're not studying apples. And then when you look at the studies that are studying the effects of fat on the diet, they're studying like hydrogenated palm oil or something. Uh, hydrogenated, by the way, is like another word for trans and that's a trans fat and it's terrible for you. And they also might study bacon, but maybe they're studying it and it's also been cooked with X, Y, and Z other things, right? Like there were so many variables in each of these studies that make the issue more complex. But when you really look at them, what we're seeing, generally speaking, is sort of um, a lack of attention to the quality of the carbs and the fats that are are being looked at. And so it makes it really easy to say, oh, these are bad or those are bad. So, right. So all of which is to say that when um, when we talk about carbs and fat, what we want to be doing is prioritizing high quality versions of both, of either. And so you can have both in your diet or focus on one or the other, which we'll talk about in a bit, but both are like definitely an important part of your diet. And those can be, you know, changed based on how much you need. Uh, Carbohydrates are composed of um, like we have breads and pastas. Like these are, these are carbs, you know, grains, and they might not be ideal. And we have refined sugars and these are also carbohydrates. And these are like definitely not ideal, although you can have them a little bit and it's okay. Um, and then you have things like fruit and potatoes and it's like, yeah, those, those things are pretty legit, you know, they're quite good. Um, and, and for fats, it's, it's very similar. You know, you have things that have been deep fried and just like, don't, you know, you maybe if you deep fry something in uh, coconut oil, you know, something really saturated, you might be okay, but deep fried definitely no, that's bad. Trans fats, not great, but like avocados, they're made out of monosaturated fats, right? Um, Noel was talking about like the really healthy fats that can be found in salmon, the omega-3 fats, um, all of these sorts of things, like those can be really, really great for you. So we need to pay attention to that. And then we need to acknowledge that like our body needs all of these things, you know, and you might not need a ton of them, but this is why we take this approach. We talk um, at great length. Our whole book is sort of based on the premise that you need a minimum of each of these macronutrients, protein and carbs and fat, um, in order to like provide your body with everything that it needs in order to function. And you can play with that. And sometimes you can do extreme interventions such as ketosis, which is like all the craze right now, like I mentioned. Um, but generally speaking, like these macronutrients are important, right? They're a part of the human diet for a reason. And so we found our entire approach on recognizing the quality of various macronutrients and helping you get like the best that you possibly can for your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you take anything away from this, it is that quality matters. And in a lot of these diet crazes, I mean, look, folks, we have, we've like, it's really interesting because right now we're in this very low carb keto craze. We are not anti keto or anti low carb, but we are just using that as a context because we do get a ton of questions about that. And I think what's really important to recognize is 30 years ago, what were we doing? We were saying (laughs) no fat, no fat, no fat. It was a low fat craze. And out of that became cereals and snack wall cookies and and skim milk and all these more processed foods because people lost sight of the fact of 
maybe we should focus on quality and real whole nutrient dense foods and instead they were focus focusing on specifically the macronutrient of fat and trying to remove all fat and even so you know out of that came trans fats people thought oh well well we we must really need to, to focus more on vegetable oils and people spent you know a lot of money to switch out um quality <laughs> sources of fat for vegetable oils um, and and pioneering, making everybody, oh, you need to use vegetable oils and you need to fry all your stuff in vegetable oils. And it was because we spent so much time focusing on the macronutrient and not on quality. And so now we're kind of coming on the other side of that, which is, wow, fat is not bad. Like we need fat. Our brain needs fat. Uh, it, it burns, you know, it uses fat as fuel. And now we're kind of seeing, oh, well, keto, eating zero carbs, and um, and then you'll really be healthy and you'll lose all this weight. And it, it, we're doing the exact same thing except with a different macronutrient. And what I want people to recognize is that it is not about the macronutrient, you know, demonizing a specific macronutrient. It is about focusing on quality and understanding that there are differences between car in, in between different carbohydrates there are differences in different types of fat you cannot look at somebody who eats a specific you can't compare somebody who eats um all two people who eat a high fat diet and one of them is all from vegetable oils and trans fats and then the other one is from coconut oil avocados and nuts those two people are not the same right um they have very different diets and they're going to have very different health outcomes but on paper they're both eating a very high fat diet and so we have to we have to consider quality and that is why it is so confusing for people that don't understand the studies in the literature specifically studies that look at people who um, we, we're just, they're observational studies. So they're just looking objectively at what people are eating. Let's say this is something that we, we, we do discuss this with um, meat, for example. A lot of studies will, will demonize meat. However, those studies really look at highly, we're looking at people and the amount of meat that they're eating. We are not looking at the people and saying, what type of meat are they eating? How are they engaging with meat? How are they cooking it? What are they? What else are they doing in their life? Um, for example, because it has meat has been considered to be unhealthy for a period of for a, a while because of that really came out of demonizing fat um, and saturated fat. You know, because a lot of people think eating meat is bad. People who don't eat meat tend to also do other healthy things. They also tend to exercise and maybe meditate and they spend more time outside and getting vitamin D and sunshine and maybe they do take vitamins and supplements. And so people who eat less meat also tend to have all these other healthy behaviors and those are called what is that? You called it really something great in the book. I think it was confounding variables, Stephanie, where it's like all these ex is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All those extra, I, this, we, we, each of us took different parts of the book and wrote it. And so that's, cause I'm always like, gosh, this is so smart. And then I can't, I have to actually remember it when I'm talking about it. But these, these additional variables we don't consider in observational studies. So a lot of these studies that say, oh, people who eat more meat are unhealthy. Well, it's not necessarily the meat. It's also that they're doing all these people who eat less meat tend to have all these other healthy behaviors. And in addition to that, we're not even looking at quality of meat. We're probably, it's probably pretty processed meat. Uh, maybe they're going to McDonald's a couple times a day or, or uh, you know, once a day and they're getting hamburgers and they're eating stuff from McDonald's and Burger King and fast food and fried chicken. And yeah, that's not the same, right? That's not the same as making some grass-fed ground beef and eating organ meats and, you know, purchasing stuff from your local farm and eating pasture-raised eggs. And so, that's what we're trying to really hone in on here is that quality is everything and quality makes a difference. It makes a huge difference not only with the health of your body, but also how your body responds metabolically and, you know, how you'll feel and how you end up um, the amount of food that you eat, you know, and, and your sati satiation and all that kind of stuff. So um, please, if you take anything away, take that away, which is fat is not bad. Carbs are not bad. 
when we focus on the quality and figure out what macronutrient ratio works for us and makes us feel best, that is, that is what we want long-term. And that's sustainable. That is sustainable. Low fat, keto, that might not be sustainable for you. And it might not, and, and that's kind of the misconception that people have is they try to do these extreme approaches and they try to white knuckle it and do it for, you know, as long as they can. And then they just go back to doing what they were before. And we want you to make shifts and changes and figure out what's right for you and then be able to sustain that long-term. So Stephanie, why don't you quickly talk about, we covered this in the book, we actually have a graph um, for each of us about what we eat in a typical day. Why don't you just kind of cover what works for you right now and what maybe a typical day looks like for you um, and then I'll just do what works for me and then we can jump into some um, considerations. So how would you know if a high carb or high fat diet you know, is best for you? If you struggle with blood sugar spikes or drops or experience symptoms of blood sugar dysregulation like hanger, shakiness, or that dreaded 3 p.m. energy crash, you can absolutely benefit from specific nutrients that are known to support the stabilization of blood sugar and metabolism. Many, many of you know that your bodily functions, such as hunger, sleep, and mood, are glucose dependent, which means your optimal daily performance is reliant on balanced blood glucose. And many things can disrupt your blood sugar, including diet or stress. Stress, a lack of sleep can really impact that, and so can hormone imbalances. The good news is that there are some amazing natural nutrients that are great for improving blood sugar, and they can be found in Bioptimizer's Blood Sugar Breakthrough. It's basically a compound supplement. You guys know I love compound supplements that contains research-based ingredients that have been scientifically proven to optimize blood sugar levels. Uh, it has chromium and biotin which are key nutrients that support blood sugar metabolism and insulin production, and berberine, which research suggests may improve insulin sensitivity. Bioptimizer's Blood Sugar Breakthrough doesn't have any cheap filler ingredients or preservatives. If you're struggling with blood sugar dysregulation, I highly recommend giving it a try. Go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash wellfed to get our podcast community discount because you know we always get the best deals. You can get a bundle discount and then use the code wellfed10 to get an additional 10% off. Again, that's three words. So blood sugar breakthrough, B-L-O-O-D-S-U-G-A-R, and then breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot health, and then forward slash wellfed, and then use our code wellfed10 for an additional 10% off. So what works for me currently, I am actually, I'm shifted a little bit more towards fat than, than I usually am. I'm just like heaping on all the eggs. I'm in an egg phase. Um, <laughs> listeners of the podcast know that I um, sometimes have phases. I'm in an egg phase. Um, but I typically, yeah, so I do, I do exercise a lot. Um, and I, so I dance uh, many days a week and I also um, cycle or run now almost every morning. And so I am careful to make sure that I get carbs, um, but I would probably be eating them anyway uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that I think that they help me sleep. Like I definitely, I go really high carb before bed. Um, and right now that's working for me. Um, I've struggled with my sleep for a long time. So that's one thing that's helping. It's not the only thing. Um, and I also... I find that I, you know, again, this is not a priority, but I find that carbs are actually easier for me for weight maintenance. And I have had genetic testing done. We talk about this in the book a little bit. You can actually, if you do like 23andMe, you can find out if you have certain like genetic predispositions to be able to process things a little bit more easily than others. And it turns out my body does burn fat a little bit more slowly than uh, average. Um, and so I, and I, that, works with that goes with the experience that I've had. And I also really enjoy eating a lot of food and carbs. <laughs> it's easier to get more volume when you eat carbs than it is when you eat fat. Um, like for example, 10 cashews uh, will give you a much higher energy intake than 10 grapes. So, um, so yeah, so those, like, I like carbs. I just like them. So I eat, I eat uh, more carbs than I do fat. Um, my morning meal is vegetables and eggs, um, primarily. And then I might add, uh, like a 
like I what are they if they have them in the UK. Um, they're called naked bars here. The equivalent in the states would be Lara bars. Um, I might have those for some snacks, and those have carbs in them. They're made uh, mostly out of dates and some cashews. And my dinner will often have rice or uh, like heaps of um, other sorts of like maybe some corn. I can tolerate corn. I don't go crazy with bread, but I can have like some grain things from time to time, unlike many people and not suffer the consequences Um, and some more protein and uh, definitely maybe some fruit along with that, you know, a banana or two or an apple or an orange And then again, my evening meal is uh, either potatoes or like a couple of mangoes, not like, you know, at least two, (laughs) two mangoes Um, and some more uh, vegetables and stuff. And so my protein is earlier in the day I tend to do. And then my carbohydrates uh, tend to like accelerate throughout the day. Um, And that's uh, that's what I'm doing right now. And it's really uh, it's really working for me. Uh, But that is again, that is to say that that's not necessarily the case for everybody yeah so in the book i have my sample day is a more fat day so it's you know eggs and some fruit in the morning and i might have some avocado or you know almond butter something like that and for lunch i'll typically do some sort of it's usually honestly leftovers from dinner it's potentially some um some rice i usually try to soak some rice and i'll have that or some like you know sausages or something like that um, I will snack on, I'm a snacker, as listeners of the podcast will know, and I snack on um, Epic Bars and maybe a Lara Bar, you know, dried fruit and nut bar. Um, I will definitely have some dark chocolate, and sometimes we'll have that with coconut butter or almond butter. And then for dinner, I typically make a lot of the different dishes that you'll see, you'll find in the book. The book is literally all these very family-friendly, easy dishes that can be made very quickly. And so it's it's fish, it's ground beef, and it's always with a side of some sort of uh, vegetable, like um, roasted broccoli or potatoes. And then I have a really big salad with lots of oil and avocado and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's, I've always kind of been a more higher fat kind of approach person and that's always felt better for me Um, when I was doing there was a phase probably two or three years ago where I was doing some really high intensity training and I was really having a hard time recovering and this is I'm just mentioning this because this is one of the main pitfalls that we see with people who are trying to find their macronutrient ratio and this is normal y'all because your life changes, right? And this is, this is, I am a perfect example of this is that you're, you fluctuate, things fluctuate in your life. Stephanie has fluctuated in her, in her life about how much workouts, you know, how, is she working out? Is she not? Is she dancing? Is she not? Is she just sitting and studying a lot? And so, you know, she's had a lot of stressful times in her life. I've had a lot of different stressful times in my life. And guess what? We've, our diet has had to morph and change with that. And so there was some a time, you know, a few years ago, let's, okay, first of all, let's just start way back, you know, let's say eight years ago when paleo first came out, it was very low carbohydrate. You did not eat any of the starchy stuff. It was just no grains, no nothing. And so we spent, both Stephanie and I spent our time in, in dabbling in that and doing that and thinking that that was the best way to be. And eventually I really got into CrossFit and higher intensity training and it worked for a little bit. The higher fat approach did. But real quickly, I figured out that I felt really crappy. I was tired. I ended up not sleeping very well. I was not recovering well. I was not recovering well. And by that, I mean, my muscles were not recovering well. I was really sore. I just didn't feel good. I I was losing my my oomph in my workouts. I wasn't able to make, I stopped making gains. You know, I I wasn't able to to progress. And so, um, honestly, that's when Steph and I kind of started recording the podcast together. And she was really um, talking a lot about how more carbohydrates were working better for her. And she was sleeping more. And I decided to really just start being more casual and starting to to bring back in potatoes and bring back in more rice and stuff like that. And gosh darn it, I started feeling a whole lot better. And so once I stopped, I I eventually had to stop doing a lot of that higher intensity stuff. I got pregnant. um, And honestly, I did not work out a lot when I was pregnant. And I did not, I still am not doing a ton of working out. I maybe do a couple workouts a week. and my diet has shifted. I don't eat a ton of carbohydrate, but I it's 
it's still a pretty big part of my life. I'm definitely not intent. I'm not trying to eat low carb at all, um, especially now that I am chasing around a child and breastfeeding. And I cannot tell you, you guys, it was so huge for me to be okay with eating all the carbohydrate in those first six months postpartum. And I feel like that's a big time where people are trying to, oh, I need to watch what I'm eating. No, you, if you're breastfeeding, if you're not sleeping well and you're just trying to survive, you your body you need to really make sure you're eating high quality sources of carbohydrate. It's the, those foods are typically really easy to eat, fruits, stuff like that, vegetables. And so that's been really really great for me. Um and I feel really good doing that. And so, yeah, all throughout my life, I have I kind of wane and <laughs> I do different things. I really, the one consistent thing in my life has always been I try to eat quite a bit of fat for breakfast. I feel so much better if I'm my, my breakfast is mostly fat, maybe some berries and, and like a mandarin or something like that. But if I'm mostly fat and then I finish off with carbs, I feel really, really great. So um, you can see, you, you'll see our breakdown, our examples. My um, my ratio, we talk about ratios, and I, this is what we want you to think about in terms of trying to tinker with things and figuring out what works for you. For me, my overall calorie intake is around 2,200 calories. Let's just say that that's kind of my baseline, that's my minimum. And some days it's 24, some days it's 27, it all depends on what you know I'm doing. And so let's say my base is about 2,200 calories a day, um, that's kind of my minimum. And so if that's what I'm eating, 50% of my, 50% uh, of that, 50% of those calories are from fat. So roughly, I'd say probably now it's like 40 to 50% of my calories are from fat. 20 to 25-ish percent is protein, 20 to 25-ish percent is carbohydrate. And that just kind of fluctuates, you know, depending on the day. And some days it may be 30% carbohydrate and less protein and less carbohydrate. Um, but that's kind of where I generally sit. And then Stephanie's, I'll bring yours up. Stephanie's is around 30 to 40% fat. She's a 50% um, from her calories is, ends up being from carbohydrate. And then 15% is from protein. Uh, yeah, I would say that sometimes the fat percentage is even lower. These days, that's, that's probably accurate, but um, yeah. But yeah, so variety. Variety. All right, so let's go into, um, and, and we, we have these really pretty graphs in the book, which are really helpful to kind of see, like, what does that mean to have 50% of your calories from carbohydrate and stuff like that? And, and so you'll be able to see that. Like, we say, like, okay, I eat 120 grams of protein, that is 480 calories, and 480 is what percent of 2,200 calories. So that's basically like, we're just, we, we kind of graph it out for you, and that's, that's what we want you to think of. Um, oh, let's talk about macronutrient minimums, what those are. So, <laughs> this is important. So in the book, we are done with setting limits. We are done with telling people you can only eat 50 grams of carbs a day. You can only eat 50 grams of fat a day. That is bonkers, y'all. That's bonkers. Everybody is different. Your days change. Your months change. And so we would rather focus on setting minimums because we have found that when women dip too low for too long, and look, we are still, we are okay with people who decide to go with a very low-carb diet. Maybe they decide to do ketogenic for a period of time. We are making very general recommendations for the general population for what most, the majority of people are gonna find brings them health, long-term sustainable health. And so we have found that sometimes people tend to dip a little too low and they dip too low for too long and it ends up causing issues. And so we decided that we were gonna create a program that gave you targets to reach, minimums, minimum calorie intake, minimum fat, protein, carb intake, and then, so so kind of think of it as like a, not a pie chart, but um, like a, just a, a basic graph where you kind of see like these little steps and <laughs> your base, your base step is 50 grams of fat, your base carbohydrate is 100 grams of carbs, and your base protein for women is 50 grams of protein. And so those steps are what we, in our on our graphs in the book, those steps are like a light blue color. And then, so that's what you have to meet your minimums, at, you know, every day. And then above that, anything additional is 
you up to you. That's what you get to decide. So if you decide to eat a hundred grams more of fat or fifty grams more of fat, that's all about that is that is up to you in figuring out what works for your body. And so you have these minimums to achieve, and then you have these little ratios that you can tinker with to figure out should I should I pile more over here on top of the carbohydrate step or should I pile more of my calories over here on top of the the fat step and so you can kind of shift and and change the levels of each and to kind of and tinker with figuring out what works for you so we've created these minimums you got to reach your minimums it's really important to note that reaching your minimums does not is that's not your baseline that's not your <laughs> That doesn't actually equal 2,000 calories. So we say you need to reach 2,000 calories. You Here are your minimum macronutrient ratios that you need to hit. And once you hit those, it's up to you to figure out where, how else, what else do I need to increase in my diet? What other foods do I need to eat to get me to 2,000 calories at least? That's your minimum. I mean, you can eat more than that. What other things do I need to eat to get me to 2,000 calories? Do I do I want to eat more fat? Do I want to eat more carbohydrate? Do I want to eat more protein? So, um, and again, that sounds kind of complicated, but it's not. It's actually pretty simple. And we do go over how to figure out, like, uh, how when is it, like, where to start? So if here are the types of people that need to focus on or, or maybe consider following a, a higher carbohydrate approach. And here's where doing a lower carbohydrate um, higher fat approach would be best. Do you want to go over, Steph, do you have that in front of you, the the book material? Or do you want yeah. me to? Okay. Why don't you go over, are you a bread lover? Which is just a cheeky thing we've said. Are you a bread or butter lover? Uh, bread is if you lo- like carbohydrates, you feel better eating more carbs. And butter lover is if you like eating more fat. So why don't you go over, are you a bread lover? Reasons for a higher carb diet. Yeah, so I love these. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, there are many considerations, I think, um, for, I, there are, for people who might need to consider having more carbs in their diet. I think that the ones for fat are a little bit heavier, like they affect more people and they're more general, but these carb ones are a little bit more specific. Um, the ones that we talk about in the book are of course, first and foremost, high activity level, right? Many people exercise and like your body likes to burn carbs. Um, And so that's a really important thing to make sure that you get if you're active. Now we talk, uh, again, these things often need to be experimented with to find like your own personal sweet spot. Um, But if you exercise regularly, say five times a week, something around there, and especially if it's high intensity, you want to bump up your carbohydrate intake to at least 150 grams a day to start. And also, especially if you're focused on building muscle, you want to make sure that you get carbohydrates pretty soon after you finish exercising. And so this is just also if you're on your feet all day, if you're working um, kind of in a more physical way, then also adding some carbs can really help your body like get through that and not stress itself out trying to make its own um, fuel to burn. Okay. So there's that. Um, one of the most important ones for me is insomnia. Uh, so your body needs uh, serotonin to help itself fall asleep, or at least it's quite helpful. Now your body synthesizes serotonin over the course of a, a long pathway of different uh, chemical reactions. But one of the things that's necessary for it is an amino acid called tryptophan. Now that you might think that this means you should eat protein before you go to sleep, but that's not necessarily true because tryptophan is just one of many amino acids that would float around in the blood. And it actually is not like the easiest one to get past the blood brain barrier and into your brain to help you get serotonin moving in that process. So what is helpful, scientists have discovered, is actually having carbohydrates. When you eat carbohydrates, your body will produce insulin to help manage the carbohydrates. And this being present in the blood will actually help uh, shuttle other amino acids away from the blood-brain barrier and allow tryptophan to pass through it. So actually having carbohydrates before you go to sleep can help your body make more serotonin. Um, as in fact, this has actually been studied and say like about four hours before sleep is what I've seen done in the studies. Um, consuming a higher carbohydrate meal will help your body make, um, make that serotonin. Now I eat carbohydrates 
like an hour before sleep. Um, so, and it works for me. So anything in that window. And you also want to make sure that if you're really worried about your insomnia, um, that you don't eat protein during this window. If you do, you have much less um, relative to carbohydrate because the, if this effect um, is really best when there isn't a lot of recent protein in, in your system. Um, so there's that. Uh, fertility is a huge concern. Um, this is something that I talk about a lot in my own work, but um, when you are trying to become pregnant, when you are pregnant, your body like really wants and likes being fed, right? Growing a baby inside of you is a very food intense, nutrient intense, energy intense process. And so doing anything to deprive your body of those sorts of resources is just like not, should not be a prime uh, priority. So, um, I recommend again, uh, bumping it up your minimum intake to 150 a day. Uh, you can go higher than that, right? Um, and all of these concerns, you can go higher. There are some people who would tell you that having a carbon tank of 200 or 300 grams a day would lead to negative things um, for your health and for your weight maintenance, but that's not necessarily the case. It totally depends on what your personal physiology needs. With insomnia, for example, like making sure that you get good sleep can actually be really helpful for your weight maintenance. And so eating carbs or more calories could be better for you in the long run, you know, because it's helping you get good sleep. So all of these things are really important. Um, another thing that we talk about is, um, right. So I'm uh, pregnancy. Of course I talked about, um, trying to get pregnant breastfeeding also on the list, all of the things postpartum period, like all of the things that involve stress for your body in terms of making another human, you just definitely want to have carbs in there. 150, maybe 200. We say 150 in the book for most of these categories, 150 grams a day at minimum. And if that feels good, feel free to bump it up some more. It's just, it's incredibly important. Noelle, I don't know if you want to weigh in on those things since you've gone through them. Um, it's important. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, you touched on it. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, it's important. And you're especially, I mean, pregnancy is huge, but then, um, you know, making milk for a, if you're breastfeeding, that's another big one. You are just draining calories from your body and, and you need food. Um, so first and foremost, you need to eat enough. <laughs> um, and that's why we, we, we up the minimum if you're breastfeeding and pregnant. Um, and, you know, as you start to titrate your breastfeeding back and, and your kid grows up, more and, and needs less from you that, you know, you can shift back down to what works best for you. But we'd, in those situations, it is so much, it's, you're going to be so much better off if you are, um, you know, try, s s instead, just try, what's, what's the terminology that I always say? It's, it's better to eat more rather than less. I mean, I would much rather you overshoot than undershoot. And that is because under eating, which we talk about a lot, under eating, especially in this postpartum time, is a stressor. It is a stressor on your body in general. You know, if you're under eating in general, it's a stressor on your body. And so that has to be taken into consideration when you're talking about food in any sort of the matter, even when we're talking about weight loss. And this is something that a lot of people miss is that when you under eat, your body perceives that as a stressor. It sees it as, hmm, there's a famine going on. There's something happening here. I should be down regulating my metabolism. I should be holding on to the energy I'm getting and your body's going to produce more cortisol. And it's just going to create more of a stressor, a stressful situation within your physiology. And that is not what you need, especially when you are pregnant, postpartum, breast feeding all that stuff. So error on the side of more rather than less. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, okay. So high fat considerations. Um, when would a high fat diet be right for you? First and foremost, if you have diabetes or insulin resistance, that is a huge one. If you have any sort of metabolic issues, we are really supportive of um, a, a lower carbohydrate approach. Um, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, those are different things. Type 2 diabetes, you tend to, um, if you just slowly lower your carbohydrate intake or you do a lower carbohydrate diet, that can be reversed. Um, 
Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition and a lot of people with type 1 diabetes tend to follow a low, people who do tend to follow, a, you know, they eat quality carbohydrates or they, they do follow a lower carbohydrate approach because it makes it easier to manage the insulin injections and to meet that, that insulin injection with the, the actual carbohydrate or the blood sugar. So that's one thing that could help out um, if you have any sort of reactive hypoglycemia, if you have blood sugar issues, if you feel like you crash in the afternoon and you're kind of on this blood sugar roller coaster, um, any sort of blood sugar swings, any sort of like where you just feel like really crappy and you you're, you have this fatigue um I really do think a low carbohydrate diet could be really helpful. It's going to teach your body to to burn fat better. Um, and it's not to say that you need to be on a low carbohydrate diet for the rest of your life, but I think it would really would be worth it to do it for a, a, an extended period of time. Uh, menopause, this is a great time to experiment with a um, higher fat approach. Um, that's, it's not, we're not saying that you have to do that, but doing, eating lower Carbohydrate um, tends to, it, it helps women, especially if you're struggling with um, maybe some unexpected weight gain or some weight loss resistance during menopause. Um, and then genetics, um, which I think is really important to um, recognize, but some people are genetically inclined just to be better at burning fat. Um, we do give some information about what you can check for if you have certain genes um, with like a company such as 23andMe that will tell you if you're more genetically inclined to burn fat better. Um, but some for some people, they just burn fat better and they feel better with a higher, um, a higher fat diet. So yeah, the million dollar question now is, which are you, you know, what's right for you? And so now we're gonna jump into questions about that very topic, which is, um, you know, where, where is, and I, I think we've kind of covered some general things, Stephanie. I, I don't know if you have anything else to say about kind of trying to find the macronutrient ratio that's right for you. I mean, we've talked about the fact that, you know, bodies fluctuate, you fluctuate, and there are th times in your life where you're going to be eating higher carb or higher fat, and it's about tinkering, figuring out what, how you feel best um, and what works best for you. Do you have any other considerations that people, but, you know, as we charge on, that maybe people should think about when trying to figure out what works for them? I will say sometimes people will find that their macronutrient desires like conf might conflict, right? You might be worried, um, you know, maybe you work out a lot, but you also struggle with insulin resistance or, um, maybe you have a hard time. You want to eat a lot of carbs, but, and you have some fertility problems that you're troubleshooting, but you also like have a problem eating FODMAPs, which are kind of carbohydrate, right? That irritate your gut. Um, and so when, when you do this, I think probably starting from a place of moderation is, is really key. And then again, you just have to experiment a little bit, take one week. That's like slightly higher fat, you know, slightly higher carb, um, do it that way, alternate your weeks, see what works best for you. You might also want to try again, like shifting your macronutrients to different times of the day. The more typical way is to put shift your carbs later. Um, that helps your body be a little bit more insulin sensitive throughout the day. Um, and also, of course, on top of all of this, just, you know, eat some probiotic foods to support your gut while you do it. Um, and really just prioritize, um, maybe find the issue that is the most important for your health and prioritize that one. You will be able, as you find greater health, to be able to, you know, solve, troubleshoot, um, work through, manage uh, all of your different issues. And so just have patience if you're trying to juggle a number of different things um, and test things slowly and carefully. Um, and, and I think you'll find it. Wonderful. All right. So we're just going to cover quickly just some some questions from the community. First is from Chrissy. My question is my question about macros. I do CrossFit several days a week with other days, a walk during lunch for each day. Should the macros be different workout days versus not working out more carbs on workout days, more fat on rest days? She said she her goal is weight loss. Um, I can quickly mention this. Yeah, you're sometimes your macro. And so this is again, 
this is something that uh, works for me, but it may not work for you. But yeah, my macronutrient ratio does change from day to day. And I think that one of the things that you need that you'll be considering is when you do a workout, when you have like a, a higher intensity workout day, a CrossFit day, one of the best ways to just naturally vary your macronutrient ratios without having to track it and think too much about it is just plan to have a high carbohydrate, um, sort of post-workout meal. You know, if you do a high workout day, you, you really, it's important to be eating somewhat. And we do talk about um, post-workout food in the book, in the fitness section. So there, there'll be some guidelines there for you. Um, and just about like, you know, how, like what kind of ratio, how many carbohydrates you should be eating and what kind of fat you should be eating and that sort of thing. And I give examples of some snacks and stuff like that, that you could eat post-workout. But really the easiest thing to do is just say, okay, I'm going to have a good whack of carbs after my workout. You know, I might have a sweet potato. I might have a banana. I might have some fruit and and that's going to be how I up naturally kind of increase my carbohydrates on the days that I work out. Um, and that's kind of just the, the basic fluctuation. And if you are trying to lose weight, um, that is going to be an overall consideration f uh, in general. You know, finding a, a macronutrient that wakes a macronutrient macronutrient ratio that works for you, focusing on quality, um, making sure that you are doing you are getting in your workouts, but you are resting effectively and you're eating to support your workouts. So. Do you have anything else to add, Steph? No. Okay. Lauren, my question would be how to layer an ideal macronutrient ratio with an intuitive eating style. I ask this because it's so easy to get caught within the framework of, I must eat all my macros, and I can see the, the benefit of that philosophy. However, how can this be achieved while also being cognizant of one's emotional and mental well-being in regards to food? This is a good question. I think what we need to prioritize with this question is the concept of ideal, right? Um, what is ideal for me personally is the macronutrient ratio that I enjoy, that feels natural. You know, I end up being somebody who prioritizes carbs, but we don't need to like, you know, and we do talk about finding like your sweet spot and the macronutrient that rate that works for you, but that can be really flexible. And you can also be somebody for whom the ideal macronutrient ratio is not thinking about it. Um, you know, in the book, we give you these minimums and I think it's like they're pretty easy minimums to hit. I, I think the majority of people, unless they're trying to do an extreme diet, do this already. Right. The majority of people will eat a little bit of fat, a little bit of carbon, a little bit of protein every day. Um, and maybe you're somebody who doesn't need to think about this. I think for a lot of people, especially people who are struggling with having dieted in the past, if your primary goal for your health right now is learning how to be an intuitive eater or just like not thinking so much about food, then don't think about it. You know, to think about it very gently, you know, give yourself a couple of weeks to make whatever like tiny changes, like making sure you hit your minimums and and focusing on it. And then it can become really natural and easy and you won't have to think about it anymore. Um, and if you have a concern that's based on your health for some other specific reason, whether that's your activity level or managing insulin resistance or what have you, like, yes, I do think that being a little bit more careful with your macronutrients will be good, but it also can be something that you do really gently, that you do very carefully. Um, and that also might come quite naturally to you if you're just saying like, look, I'm going to focus on having more carbs, period. It doesn't need to be, look, I'm going to have 54, you know, grams of fat every day or something. It's not like, oh, I'm going to have 104 grams of carbohydrate. You can just say, if you happen to want to prioritize your intuitive eating um, and your relationship with food, do it in a much more general way. I'm going to focus on more carbs or I'm going to focus on more fat um, and never beat yourself up over whether you achieve that or not. That's really important if you're focusing on, you know, your intuitive eating. But generally speaking, I think that like this is an OK thing to prioritize is actually not choosing a perfect macronutrient ratio to hit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to also recognize that sometimes intuitive eating can become, ah, I got to follow the rules and do the intuitive eating thing right. And it's, you got to be careful with that too, um, because that can turn into sort of an obsessive thing if, if, you know, all of us who have a history with following diets and trying to control our food and trying to control our bodies, 
intuitive eating is a great approach and we love it. And it's all about just going with the flow, trying to figure out what your body wants and eating that. And that's essentially what we are saying in our book. It is just, hey, you're going to meet these minimums first and then you're going to go with what works for you and adding in more carbohydrate or fat. And so I think that it can be absolutely perfectly. You can follow the principles of intuitive eating as you know, described on the website and, and, but don't get too hung up on trying to make sure that you're following intuitive eating perfectly. And you'll notice that in our book, we're not talking about hitting certain macronutrient ratios, like maximums, like, Oh, if it it fits my macros, it's about meeting a minimum and then working with your body to figure out what works for you. So I do think it can be a very, you know, it's a hand in hand approach. Um, next question is from Rebecca. I'm struggling with sporadic ovulation, irregular periods and have been my whole life. I once thought low carb was the way to go, but now I see a lot of articles saying low carb could cause you not to ovulate. So confusing. Could you explain why carbs are beneficial for a woman's cycle? Stephanie, you have done this already a little bit, but if you want to just drive that message home. Yeah, I I will elaborate. I'll go into a little bit more detail. Um, So your body likes feeling fed. And there is a part of your brain called the hypothalamus that is really sensitive to the amount of certain chemicals in your bloodstream, um, two of which are really important, uh, leptin and insulin. Now, leptin is produced by your fat cells, and so your body is very sensitive to how much body fat you have, and it responds to it. But your body, leptin is also made a little bit when you consume carbohydrate, and insulin is made when you consume carbohydrate. And your hypothalamus, like, knows. It knows, and... Uh, It also is a really key player in then telling your pituitary gland, your thyroid, your like everything, everything that has to do with your reproductive health is hooked on this hypothalamus and its ability to feel like it's fed and to sort of give your body the go ahead signal. And I could not like say, I could not recommend more highly making sure that you get some carbohydrate in your diet because it will help your hypothalamus feel fed. Now, of course, another very important thing for feeling fed or for your hypothalamus saying, okay, sure, I'm going to go ahead is uh, a eating enough food calories and also B uh, having enough body fat. And for some women, being really, really lean is just not an option if you also want to have reproductive fitness. Now, it doesn't apply to everybody. It does apply to me. <laughs> it doesn't apply to everybody. So uh, you really just need to think about your own personal situation. Um, and yes, absolutely. I think that's a really important reason to eat carbs. Now, of course, for some people, that doesn't apply <laughs> necessarily um, or quite to the same extent. This is why we give you a minimum. But if you're struggling with things like insulin resistance or what have you, like you don't need to go wild with carbs, but hit your minimums, everybody hit your minimums. Um, and then, yeah, keep them on, keep them on. If you haven't been eating them, see what happens. Okay. Next question is from Maggie. Does macronutrient ratio even matter? I've tried doing so much research on this and can't find a clear answer. Are there strong benefits to tracking macronutrients and being specific on the breakdown slash ratio? Or is it just creating stress around food when the end it doesn't matter about the ratios? It's more to do with what you eat and how many calories you consume. Thanks, ladies. Love your podcast. Okay. So I'll just quickly touch on this. Um, I think that sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And within the context of health, I think it does matter because sometimes um, women get hung up on. And I think what what Maggie's question is here is, do we even need to be tracking macronutrients? Why are we all so hyper focused on this? And. I think that, you know, everything that we've just talked about, you know, sometimes people do have health issues. They do have metabolic issues that can be um, impacted positively by a low carbohydrate diet or they are working out a lot. And so they need to be more conscious of eating a lot of high quality carbohydrates. And that is where it becomes important. And that is where it's to me, it's it's intentionally eating food in a way that is going to serve your body and that is going to work for you long term. And so we have to take these things into consideration about our lives and about our bioindividuality and where we are in our lives and what works best for us and how we feel when we eat low carb or how we feel when we eat high, you know, uh, low fat or, or high fat and all that stuff. So it's, it's all about figuring out what is going to work for us and make us feel our best. That is where macronutrients matter. Um, and I'm going to be honest though. 
I don't personally track macronutrients and I don't track calories. I spent a lot of years doing that and I don't anymore. And I have for the past maybe six years haven't tracked a thing that has gone into my mouth and my weight has been very stable and healthy and I haven't had any major fluctuations other than having a baby, which yes, my did, my weight did go up with that. Um, but it naturally has gone back to, you know, around five or 10 pounds of what I was before I had my child at a year postpartum. And that's totally fine. And I'm good with that. You know, this is a new body. And so I feel great. I, um, I don't track. I don't have any interest in tracking. I eat now. I have such an intuition about what I need and how much food that I need that I eat when I'm hungry and I sometimes eat beyond that and that's okay. But I naturally then just eat less later. Um, and so I kind of eat the foods that I feel like my body needs. I can tell on days where I need more carbohydrate and I'm like, I need potatoes. And so I make potatoes with dinner. Um, when I go on longer walks or do a metabolic workout, I really focus on more um, carbs and eating, you know, rice and stuff like that. And so I have gone into this natural space where I eat the things and I don't track and I don't necessarily have to. Now, I know I'm meeting those minimums that we have put into worked into our program because I I just I kind of know, you know, um, I'm not trying to intentionally eat too little of one thing or too much of another. I don't restrict food. I don't say, oh, I can't have that. I have ice cream, coconut milk. I can't do dairy, but I do coconut milk ice cream and I got it in the freezer at all times. And if I want some, I have a few bites. And so that's how I exist. And I think that it's really important to take into consideration. What are, what's your history? Um, you know, do you do better with tracking or do you not do well with tracking? Do you actually need to track? And so if it's, if you're somebody who really just gets a little bit more stressed with the tracking and all that kind of stuff, maybe just do it for a few days to make sure that you are hitting your minimums and then let it go and then let it go and just be conscious of what you're doing. Oh, today I'm going to eat more carbohydrate. I'm going to make more of an intention to to have some potatoes with dinner and, you know, some corn and maybe a little bit of sprouted bread or a little bit of rice and just kind of figure it out. And that's that's what we want it eventually to get for you to where it it's not stressful. It's not something you, we don't want you to stress. Stress should not. There's so many other things to stress about in your life. We don't want it to be the food. It, it food should be nourishing and fun and engaging and celebratory and where we connect and where we you know we gather. And so that's what we want food to be for you. It's not to be something stressful. It's not to be something you have a negative relationship with and where you think that things are good or bad and you you wrap your morality into how you eat. We want it to be something that you engage with to nourish your body, you feel good doing, you don't have any shame or guilt around, and it becomes a part of your world that's an enjoyable part of your world, not something that's stressful. So do you have anything else, Steffi? No. Okay, let's do one more. Um, we did, we have some questions about ratios for postpartum breastfeeding we have very specific considerations in the book so read the book we got your back um let's see one more do you have any recommendations for how this is from nikki do you have any recommendations for how macronutrient timing can help sustain energy throughout the day i work in a cubicle and can take short walking breaks but some days i still want to take a nap at my desk the question assumes adequate sleep not over exercising not overly stressed and good health so what about Maybe Steph just touch. I think you did have a little bit, but maybe just how timing of, you know, carbs and fat and all that kind of stuff can help, especially when maybe you're struggling with fatigue. One thing that is really common for people who like low carb diets to talk about, it's <laughs> they talk about it, not a small amount is how eating a lower carbohydrate diet, like takes away the afternoon sleep need. You know, they say, oh, look at me. I have energy throughout the day. Sorry, <laughs> but they do. Um, it's really common. And this is in part because for many people, it is effective. And the theory behind it, the idea behind it is that when you consume carbohydrate, right, your blood sugar levels go up. Carbs are essentially sugar. They're broken down into sugar in your blood. And your blood sugar levels rise and then your body secretes some insulin. It gets rid of the blood sugar and then your blood sugar levels fall. And when blood sugar levels fall, you tend to, uh, you can feel tired 
Like that's a, that's kind of a thing, right? Like it's a sugar crash, what we always call the sugar crash. When you eat a lot of candy as a kid or whatever, people would be like, Ooh, your sugar. <laughs> so you can effectively eat lower carb breakfasts and lunches and see if that works for you. And then you throw your carbs in at night and then you, you know, knock out for 10 or hours or however many you need eight. Um, so that is one option. Now, if you do that, you can toy with how many carbs to have with breakfast and or lunch. Uh, definitely maybe a lower carb lunch if it's the afternoon sleep you want to avoid. And so a little bit of carb with breakfast, say you want to have some potatoes uh, with your scrambled eggs or what have you, like absolutely, you know, see if that works for you. You don't need to go zero carb in the morning, in the afternoon. I definitely don't recommend that unless it works for you. Um, on the other hand, I have tried this and had it be ineffective. Nowadays, I'm not getting that problem where I, I get sleepy, uh, but it has, again, I'm not saying it is necessarily a foolproof solution. So you can try this. That could maybe be helpful for you. Um, it could also be helpful. Again, maybe you want to like have one really big meal when you wake up. This is another option. This has been shown to be really good for maintaining a regular circadian rhythm. And so if you have a big meal, including carbohydrates in the morning, this could help anchor your sleep to the nighttime. Now you still might get a morning or an afternoon dip in your wakefulness because it's natural for this sort of dip to happen in the afternoon. Like it's very natural and a sign that you get tired in the afternoon is like that means that you might actually have a pretty healthy circadian rhythm. But if you want to experiment with a larger meal in the morning, you might be able to get enough rest at night or get deeper rest at night such that you maybe end up not needing that afternoon nap. And this is something that I've been working on recently, and I think it's been pretty effective for me as I, I try to eat the majority of my calories actually quite early in the day. And so those are two things that you can sort of try and play with and see if, see if they help you there. Okay. We have been talking a long time about some macronutrient ratios, so we're mm -hmm. going to stop here. Um, for more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. For more from Stephanie, go to paleo4women.com. Hopefully, we will see you on our websites, on Instagram, and you can jump over and talk to us on um, on our podcast. And you can actually send us more questions there. So our our podcast email is wellfedwomen at gmail.com. If you have any follow-up questions, we'd love to help you there. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, guys. Bye.